0: Got an interesting topic. Now, we've been doing a lot of draft topics lately. we going to break it up this time and do a new metric. And I'm right, like new metric, old metric, but we'll talk a little bit. Tage Seth from PFF is here to talk about it. He's an intern there, uh, currently still a student at University of Michigan.
3: Yeah. Thanks, Ken, so much for having me on. I'm, I'm really happy to be back. I've always enjoyed coming on the show and I'm excited to talk to you today.
0: A lot of fun. And, you know, it's not just the Ravens who have that Michigan connection with the Harbaugh's and the McDonald and the Ajabo and all this stuff, but uh, it, it's uh, it's you and me too. And I really appreciate it. appreciate uh, you and all the other people at PFF making time to to be on the show so regularly. Okay. So let's talk about
3: uh, your, your metric here. Wins over expected coaching or WOAC or WOKE. What do you call it? I like to say WOKE because it sounds like, you know, the actual word WOKE. And I, I think that sounds cool. Yeah.
0: All right. All right, so uh, give us a little history on John Harbaugh first of all, who's been the league. Oh, actually, let's talk about the metric first. Mm -hmm. How how do you? How does it put together? Mm -hmm.
3: Yeah, so my friend Parker Fleming, who's uh, StatsOR on Twitter, does a lot of great college football stuff. He created a metric for evaluating college football head coaches last summer, where he kind of looked at what does a program usually do when they change head coaches, and like what level they are at, and then what did the head coach actually do with what he was given? So, you know, we we could see like, oh, like this coach was above average, this coach was below average. So I wanted to take his methodology and apply it to the NFL level. But it works out really nicely in college football because the coach controls both the recruiting side of things and the Hmm. coaching related to like player development and game management. In the NFL, it's a lot different, right? You have some coaches like Bill Belichick that have full control over their roster. And you have other coaches who kind of leave it up to the front office. So what I had to do was I had to assume that the head coach was given the roster that he had to work with. And then based on that, how well did he do over what we would expect out of an average coach with the roster he was given?
0: Okay. So you're looking at something like, and I don't know whether it's PFF grades or whatever you might be looking at, and then saying... Given those PFF grades, how remarkable was it that John Harbaugh led the Ravens to be eight and nine last year, for mm-hmm. example?
3: Yes, exactly. Yeah, it's taking the PFF position grades that were used. So, you know, you the you have the really important ones in the model uh, that are passings, like the quarterback get grade. And this is as mm-hmm. a team collective, right? So it's it's not just Lamar Jackson. It's Lamar Jackson and Tyler Huntley combined together and, like, weighted based on, you know, the amount of snaps that each of them played last year how do you weight it by position so that's that's um do you mean by position or by player
0: by by position i actually mean i mean position group i can see you could weight it by snaps but but uh, by by player uh how do i sorry by position by position how do you weight it, it was like, is a quarterback 25% of the total value or or what might it be
3: yeah so I, I split it up into three tiers of position groups basically based on how strongly they correlated with winning percentage so in tier mm-hmm. one, you have the quarterback collective grades, the coverage grades, receiving grades, and pass rush grades. So those are the really important PFF metrics that correlate strongly with the team's winning percentage. And, and then co- coverage, pass rush, and and quarterback play not not surprising. Mm-hmm. And receiving, yeah, thrown in there too. Receiving, sorry. Yeah, and then tier two is pass blocking, run blocking, and rushing grades for the team. And then tier three, they still correlate with winning, just not as much as the metrics or the, the grades that I previously mentioned is run defense and tackling. So all, all of those get thrown into a model and, and expected wins that we would, you know, we would see from an average coach with that roster is spit out and, and given to us.
0: So that, that tells me some things right there about individual player choices that you should really go for a great coverage player who is a questionable tackler, mm-hmm. uh, before you go the other way around, for example, mm-hmm. certainly. Yes. Okay. Wonderful. So then, uh, take me through more. I interrupted you there.
3: Yeah. So, you know, when, when we get the, the expected wins from a roster, you know, we can kind of see it, it, it checks out to what we would expect. It just, puts an objective measure on like what we think. So like, you know, the, the Rams last year from this metric were considered to have the best roster in the NFL because of all their stars with Cooper cup and Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey. And so an average coach would have been expected to win about 11.3 games with that roster last Mm -hmm. year. And then you can flip that and look at the worst roster in the league last year, who were the Detroit lions and an average coach would have been expected to win 3.6 games with that roster. So it, it it checks out, you know, relative to what our priors are. So you know, we can we can kind of like use that to evaluate different coaches around the league and see who is able to exceed expectations and who goes below them.
0: Okay, so is all of this aggregate grade based? Because my 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 immediate immediate thought was there'd be some sort of situational football component to this, where John Harbaugh is going for it on the two two point conversions this last year, but each of which ended up losing a game might either have a small gain maybe on an expected basis because the decision was generally good or or a loss based on the result
3: yeah we try to do a lot of things based on the process instead of the result um so you know when it it's 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 on the aggregate grade level instead of at like the specific play level there um okay. but it, yeah mm mm-hmm.
0: So no situational football we're just talking aggregate level is are the PFF grades weighted at all for a situation so is a quarterback get a, get a higher grade bump or a multiplier of any sort for a higher leverage play
3: mm-hmm. yes that's all accounted for by the graders in in you know high leverage situations close game fourth quarter and stuff like that is where you know you can really see these these grades come to fruition
0: Okay let me ask you that question a different way cuz I didn't like the answer The graders probably should have nothing to say with leverage because they can't really tell it on the fly Mm -hmm. or they can only tell it in a general sense the way you and I could if we were watching a football game. I I would rather have it be a a process that is applied to a grade that says, hey, this grade was plus 1.0 for that play, Mm -hmm. but because it was a 3.7 leverage situation, whatever that means, um, it's going to get a higher uh, uh, relative weighting in my overall grading of this player.
3: Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. So that's accounted for in the grades because, you know, you want it to, to correlate well with, with winning and stuff like that. So it's a lot more important to have a like plus 1.0 grade, like you mentioned, close game fourth quarter than it is, you know, in in the first quarter and and just stuff like that. Yeah. All
0: right. Fantastic. I just, I, 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 I thought that there would not be something that Eric would allow to happen. With, and I assume he'd be the guy, right? Who would have who would have the say over that? Mm-hmm. Okay, all right. T- tell me further down the line.
3: <laughs> so yes, yeah, so then if we we uh, we can jump into you know John Harbaugh more specifically now that we've kind of laid out how the metric works. So last season, John Harbaugh, because of all the injuries that the Ravens occurred, uh, was expected to win 6 point, um, 6.4 games with <sighs> his roster, right? And so he ended up getting eight wins out of them. And, you know, the, the interesting thing about the Ravens last year was they weren't really lucky in one-score game variance. Like a lot of the times when a coach pops up really highly in wins over expected coaching or just wins in general, it's because they won a lot of close one-score games that, you know, usually mm-hmm. don't stay as stable year to year. But, you know, John Harbaugh didn't really get that. The beginning of the season, they were winning a lot of one score games, but by the end of the season, they lost a lot of those close games that, you know, kind of, kind of regressed to the mean there that you mentioned earlier with the two point conversions. So he, 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 the eight wins that he got were like a grind for him to get. And, And it was, it was a really impressive coaching job.
0: Okay. All right. Well, fair enough. So, so 1.6 wins above. Now, take us through John Harbaugh's career because you've got a chart for me here. We're going to put this up with the article, but it's quite impressive in terms of Harbaugh's career really rarely dipping below the number of expected wins for the team.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. John Harbaugh is you know someone who should be a Hall of Fame coach when his uh, career is is all done with, and you know his most impressive coaching job was the 2019 season where Mm -hmm. the Ravens established themselves as, you know, a true contender for many years to come. And he got 3.9 wins over expected coaching that season um, as, as they went 14 and two. And so that, that was, you know, his best year for sure. Mm -hmm.
0: I'm going to go ahead and say something here that I think is probably true. And I think most of the folks at PFF would agree. Most of that 2019 wins over expected is the failure of the grades to reflect the value of Lamar Jackson to the Ravens and to all 22, I would argue, but certainly all 11 on offense. He makes, he made all of them better that year. And PFF grading is just not capturing that. So when you then wait, what you've got for Lamar Jackson from 2019, which is probably a very good grade. I I really don't know. uh, You still don't fully capture the expected wins of the team properly.
3: Yeah, no, no, that's a really good point. And that's definitely something me and Eric have tried to work on is the gravity that a player has uh you know relative to to the rest of of the team and stuff like that so like one of the metrics we've been working on is the ground covered of linebackers when they're going against opposing offenses and you know whether or not the linebacker is flowing straight to the running back from snap until handoff or because of you know uh dressing that like a kyle shanahan or mcveigh puts on his offense or a mobile quarterback like lamar jackson Mm -hmm. or kyler murray Sometimes the linebackers will stop in their tracks because they might think Lamar is keeping the ball, and he actually hands it off to the running back. So that's that'll eventually be something that is hopefully reflected in PFF grading and on PFF site. But you know, it's it's still a work in progress right now, and it's it's getting there. But eventually, hopefully, we can have that.
0: That that's absolutely fascinating, Tage. I'm glad to hear you're working on that. That sounds something like very interesting. So small amount of movement by linebacker means quarterback has high gravity. Mm-hmm. yeah or, so, or so like Baltimore
3: that. Baltimore shows up with a small amount of movement by linebackers on on the opposing defense mm-hmm. basically every year that Lamar has played yeah
0: okay I was wondering if there would be something else uh coming out of that 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 the the number of times the linebacker ran themselves completely out of position because that that happens too but but obviously that would involve more movement, but we saw that on a fair number of the touchdowns up the middle that Lamar had over the last couple of years it's been defense is just running themselves completely out of position. Mm
3: -hmm. Yeah. So they'll, they'll get a negative ground covered there. If they're, if they're going the wrong direction, baby. So that that would really, that would really hurt like the Mm -hmm. linebacker performance. Mm -hmm.
0: Okay. So it's not, it's not ground covered. It's ground covered relative to where they should be. Exactly. Yes. Okay. Very interesting. Okay. Very interesting. Well, I'd love to see what you guys come up with on that. So uh, John Harbaugh for his whole career in terms of wins over expected coaching is about
3: what? So he, so he, um, he's actually ranked so since since this has been going since since 2009 when we mm-hmm. had enough data to work with he's ranked fourth behind Bill Belichick, Andy Reid and Sean Payton so he's definitely been one of the best coaches in the league for for you know multiple years now and then if you want to lower the scope to 2017 when you know he really started going in on the fourth downs and lean, leaning mm-hmm. into analytics and in their staff and everything. He's ranked third behind, uh, McDermott at Buffalo and Matt LaFleur in green Bay. So, you know, he's, he's very consistently been one of the best coaches in the league and, and has only had two years since 2009, where he's gone below, uh, what was expected of him out of his roster.
0: So 2009
3: minus two, despite they had a great, didn't they win 12 games that year? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, no, they won. They won nine games. Nine, oh, you're right. Nine games.
0: That was a great team. Great offensive line. I'm sorry. I forgot that. OK, so so they won nine games and had a bunch of really bad road losses we went to that year. Yep. OK, that makes sense. And 2015, of course, the injured the first injury fest before this year. Uh, one of the worst PFF injury years. Right. Ever. That's you've been on for that metric before. Yep.
3: Yeah, that's true.
0: Yeah. And only two wins below expectation that year, which I guess kind of makes sense. They were losing a lot of close games, but um, that roster was terrible once, yeah. they, once they started getting hurt. Okay, great stuff, Tage. What else do you have to tell us about this?
3: Yeah, so, you know, one of the things that, you know, as, as we talk about injuries and stuff, one of the things that, you know, we can look at with the Ravens as we look ahead to next year is the Ravens lost, you know, 2.8 games because of injuries last year. So like that's why their you know, expect, uh, expected was so low, and that's why it was so impressive that he ended up winning eight games with them. So if you, if you look at all the teams that have lost more than two games from injuries, you have the 2013 Packers where Aaron Rodgers got injured, and they made the conference championship game the next year. You have the 2018 49ers where they had you know, all these injuries across the board. In 2019, they make the Super Bowl. And then the 2020 Cowboys lost Dak Prescott, won the division in 2021, and w- were able to home, host a home playoff game that kind of got away from them. Um, and then same thing with you know the 2020 49ers, again, were really injured and then made the conference championship game this past year. So if you want to look for a reason to buy into the Ravens this year, it's because they have they have an, you know a, a good roster that's set up to win that just lost almost three games of injuries last year. So if they can get all of that back this year and stay relatively healthy, they can do what those teams I just mentioned did and you know make the playoffs and potentially make a deep playoff run.
0: And you didn't pick and choose. That's every team that lost by more than two games. Oh, sorry, that had... Tell me, tell me what the group was. Yeah, had, before had I more
3: than had more than two games lost due to injury.
0: The two games lost due to yeah. injuries. Okay, mm-hmm. I was I was trying to look back at wins over expected coaching again. Okay, that's really good news, and that's every everyone since two thousand nine, or everyone over the last several years. How, how many
3: years did you limit that to? Um, everyone since two thousand twelve for the two thousand twelve. Okay.
0: <laughs> All right. All right. Well, that's great news. I'm a Ravens fans are going to love to hear that. Uh, a, a lot of people have said that the Bengals. Uh, certainly played with a horseshoe last year in terms of of avoiding injuries while the Ravens didn't. And and that obviously had a lot to do with the the division outcome. But why don't you tell me wins over expected coaching for the other divisional coaches. Can you easily filter out that? And while we're here on the phone, or is that tough?
3: Yeah, no, I can, I can definitely do that. So, uh, you know, I talked about how John Harbaugh should be a hall of fame coach when, when he retires, Mike Tomlin Mm -hmm. should be as well. Mike Tomlin is right there up there with him. You know, I said, that John Harbaugh was fourth uh, since 2009 behind Bill Belichick, Andy Reid, and Sean Payton. Mike Tomlin is fifth in that in that same thing. And last year was one of Tomlin's most impressive coaching jobs that he's had because you know we talked about how passing is the most important when determining expected wins. He had the he had the 29th ranked passing attack last year and somehow won nine games. Granted, a couple of those were one score close game wins, but mm-hmm nevertheless won nine games kept his team in playoff contention until last week and then had a little luck go his way to make the playoffs so that was that was um you know just something that you know is it's it's really cool to have both of those coaches in the same division
0: all right and uh, and how does his total since 08 or 09 compare to harbaugh's
3: Mm -hmm. yeah so harbaugh's slightly above him he's Harbaugh is fourth and Mike Tomlin is fifth.
0: Okay, you, you, you did say that already. I'm sorry to, to, to run you over that. How about the other coaches in the division?
3: So it, it looks poorly on Zach Taylor. Uh, it, 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 the wins of expected coaching has said that he's gone under expected all three years as Bengals head coach. Now, the first two years were strongly negative, um, you know, negative 1.5 and negative one, respectively. This past year, he did get better uh, it was only negative zero point three, so he was still a below average head coach, but maybe he's shown signs of improvement. And then with Stefanski, he uh, was really good in twenty twenty; had you know more than a win over expected coaching. But last year, he was towards the bottom of this metric with negative one wins over expected coaching. So he, you know, it was a really weird year for the Browns last year, and he didn't really do well keeping the the team together.
0: Okay. All right. Well, very good. That's that's good news, obviously, and good news in terms of the of the division, in terms of what's going on. And uh, this doesn't, once again, doesn't get its situational football. So, do you have any other metric that kind of measures Tomlin versus Harbaugh in terms of situational football choices?
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So one of the, one of the other things that you know I like to look at is fourth down decision making. And so Ben Baldwin, um, who's an economist uh, who who does a mm-hmm. lot of public NFL work has a really cool model where he, he evaluates coaches on when they go for or uh, how, when they should go for fourth downs and then how often they actually do go for fourth downs. So if we look at, you know, since 2018, I just picked that just because like, that's been the the main focus of fourth downs since then uh, John Harbaugh ranks second. Uh, he goes for fourth downs, 55% of the time when he should. Which is right behind the Browns in that time frame. Mm-hmm. Well, Mike Tomlin is sixth from the bottom, so he's uh, he's only going for it on fourth down, thirty percent of the time when he should. And we see that pop up a lot with conservative punts on fourth and one for him in mm-hmm. situations when he should be going for it.
0: Yeah, they call it, they have a, a cowardly index. Some some group does in terms of cowardly punts, but that uh, that shows up from time to time. <laughs> Tage, fantastic topic. I'm excited to hear all the things going on at PFF. Uh, Tell us, tell people where they can talk football with you, first of all.
3: Yeah. Uh, Anyone can, you know, reach out to me and on Twitter and talk football with me at TEJFB analytics. So Tage FB analytics. Um, Yeah. I would, would love, if anyone has any questions about this metric or PFF in general, always feel free to reach out to me and, and would love to chat.
0: All right. Great follow, Tages. Make sure you, you you take care of that. If you're out there, you'd like to be on a film study short over the next couple of months. This is prime time, folks. There's not a lot of football going on. I have kind of an open mic with regard to people who have interesting topics. You don't have to have something as good as Tage. if you just want to talk scheme or you want to talk something about how the Ravens ought to build their franchise, complain about the draft, talk about player growth and development, whatever you'd like to talk about. Hit me up with a DM, always open on Twitter. I'd love to hear from you. Tage, thanks again for joining us.
3: Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate it.
0: We'll talk to you next time on Film Study.